We turn this morning to Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 13, the Lord's model prayer. This morning we're dealing particularly with the phrase, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew 6, 9, after this manner therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever, and all God's people say, Father, this morning we are humbled, though excited to come to this next phrase, humbled because of its difficulty, excited because of its instruction and indication of your help to us. We've just sung in one of the stanzas of the last song that your people long for the day when all temptation is dead when we no longer struggle against sin and the lust of the heart and the mind. And surely we have not yet in this day come to that day of promise. And so we are excited to hear our Lord's words concerning prayer directed towards not being led into temptation, but being delivered from evil. And not just some golden daybreak, not just some uh, eschatological future, as surely as promised us. But this day, as part of our daily bread, this day, as part of give and forgive, this day, as necessity on earth requires. Thank you then for the opportunity. We ask your blessing upon your people in study. We ask that our souls would be well fed from above. And for that, we'll praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Bring us not into temptation, but draw us to you and away from the evil one. If you take the words, the simple words of Christ in the English text, and you study those words, word by word, as to the expanse of their meaning, we could indicate that the verse includes these concepts. Bring us not into temptation, but draw us to you and away from the evil one. No phrase in the model prayer is more difficult to get a precise handle on than this one. It is difficult for four reasons. Let me tell you why the passage is difficult. It is difficult because we know, first, that there are times of testing in the will of God for us all. Job endured great conflict at the hands of Satan as God allowed or permitted him. Jesus not only endured the temptation of the evil one for 40 days 
in the wilderness. But scripture is clear that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for precisely that temptation. James tells us that God never tempts us towards evil, but that doesn't mean that God wills away all possibility of temptation and testing. This phrase simply cannot mean that we are to ask God to remove all temptation and testing from our lives currently. Some scholars point the entirety of the phrase futuristic. Lord, deliver us from temptation. Or as we've just, we just finished singing it. Lord, we long for the day when temptation is no more. That'll be a great day to wake up on that glorious morning when sin no longer uh, rings uh, on my inward phone and I'm inclined to answer it. That'll be a great day when that phone no longer rings. That's a great thought, and I don't doubt that that thought is a part of the mix here, but I think we really miss the point. Seriously, if we point all this idea of the Lord's Prayer here uh, to the eschatological view of someday, someday, oh, someday. No, we're in a section of give, forgive, and. Lead us not in temptation. This has got to have particular ramifications for today. But it's difficult because the prayer simply cannot mean that God would deal with us in a way unlike he dealt with Job or unlike the way that he dealt with James or unlike the way that he dealt with the Lord Jesus. And yet it's easy to take the phrase in that sense. Number two, the phrase is difficult because of other scriptures that appear to say exactly the opposite. We sing the song based upon David's prayer in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Test me. And uh, and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me to the way everlasting. David prayed, test me. Jesus appears to be telling us to pray, don't test me. So do you go with David or do you go with Jesus? Well, I'd always go with Jesus. But the idea is, should we pit what Jesus says here, do not lead us into temptation, with David saying, test me, know me, try me. Is there a conflict? I don't believe there is. But get your puny brain around that conflict. It's hard for this preacher. And I've learned hard for all the preachers. None of them have like a quick idea about how to exactly resolve this situation. So don't expect too much from this morning's sermon. But I think there'll be enough to bless your gizzard. Number three, the phrase is difficult because the word translated temptation is a neutral word, not in itself designating a good or a bad thing. James used the same word when he wrote, count it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing produces endurance. So James uses the exact same word, translated temptation, in Matthew chapter 6, and he talks about God's trials and testings in a context in which he clearly says God does not tempt us to evil, point blank, period. 
Fourthly, this is a difficult phrase because, according to the Scripture, the source of our spiritual conflict is both external and internal. External in the sense of Satan and the world, and internal regarding our own human flesh, a part of me that remains even to this day, in opposition to God. I need to be delivered from myself as often and as much as I need deliverance from the evil one. It was that comic in the 1960s named Flip Wilson who first said, the devil made me do it. But you and I understand that if the devil were to completely be gone and never bug us another day, we've got problems, problems, problems within uh, a plenty by nature of our own sinful bent and lust. In fact, the truth of the matter is the devil hardly bothers any of you, nor any preachers I know, because most of God's people are not serious enough in living a life of holiness before the Lord so as to warrant any attention of the adversary whatsoever. The reality is we often create our own problems. So when we talk about lead us not in temptation, we're as much praying about our own lust as we are about the devil. Now this phrase, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, is clearly clarified by comparing it with other passages of Scripture. And this morning we want to do that, and we want to begin with the instruction of Jesus. I do believe that the instruction of Jesus to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, as recorded in Luke 22, is uniquely informative into our understanding of the prayer part and lead us not into temptation. So join me, please, in Luke 22. And I'll begin reading at verse 39. Luke 22 and verse 39. And Jesus came out, that would be out from the upper room where he had gathered with his disciples. You can plug John 13, John 14, uh, uh, some of John 15 uh, into the aspect of that upper room experience. And now Jesus has made his way, uh, John 15, uh, 16, And uh, we find that the Lord is in Gethsemane, John 17, and uh, he is uh, 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 on the Mount of Olives. And he came out and went as he was wont, as he was wont, as he was accustomed, as was his pattern. The Lord had a pattern of prayer. He had a pattern of seeking the Father's face as he moved through the days of his earthly life. And he came out and went as he was wont, as he was accustomed to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down 
and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Strengthening him for what? Knowing that the will of God was not from the thing, but through the thing. Not from the thing, but through the thing. Not from the thing, but through the thing. An angel comes to strengthen him through. Temptation was indeed the will of God for the Son of Man, the Son of God, our Savior, he would press on in the will of God as strengthened from above by nature of his prayer. No prayer, no strengthening. Strengthening by prayer did not take him from the temptation, but through the temptation. Verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Sleeping for sorrow. You know what that is? A little, little tiny kid is bothered, don't know why they're bothered. The mother's given him a fresh diaper. The mother's given him a fresh bottle. The mother's done everything she could, and the kid's still just, <laughs> what does the mother do? Put him in the crib and walk away. Put a soft blanket up by his face and walk away. Swat him in a cough and walk away. Let the kid uh, uh, put himself to sleep out of sorrow. He will. He'll just wear out. He'll come right to the place of gone. He can only cry and fuss for so long, and he'll get tired of it. And he'll go to sleep. Well, the disciples were sleeping for sorrow. They could have been praying. They weren't praying, as you know the Lord commanded them. They were sleeping for sorrow. And Jesus said to them, verse 46, Why sleep ye? Of course, he knew why. They did. He said again to them, Rise, wake up, and pray. Pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Now, I'm saying that that account in Luke 22, 39 to 46, uniquely informs our understanding of and lead us not into temptation. The thought is, do not allow us to enter into the temptations around us, regardless of their source. Again, do not allow us to enter into the temptations around us, regardless of their source. I did a little word search of, those, of that phrase, enter in. And, uh, and you have, uh, 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 in Matthew 6, previously, uh, you have the exact same word, enter in, used for your closet. Enter into the closet to pray. Uh, we saw that earlier in Matthew 6. Uh, likewise, uh, you have repeated uh, references in Matthew to enter into the kingdom and enter into life and enter into joy uh, 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 and, and, and enter into glory. All of those are enter in uh, statements in Matthew uh, that uh, pushes, as it were, 
uh, in the will of God uh, to those things that are most desirable. But here is an enter not. Don't let us go into the doorway. Don't let us go through the doorway into the realm of that temptation. That is the clear meaning of enter in Luke 22, and I'm saying that has a connection and a sense of helping our understanding of the phrase in Matthew 6, 13, and bring us not or lead us not into temptation. Enter in means to participate. Prayer is the key to not participating in the temptations around us. Prayer is the key to not participating in the temptations around us. In the companion passages, Jesus also told the disciples that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We generally desire to do right and not to enter into sin, but without prayer, we find no great power to resist the temptation to enter in. So the phrase, bring us not into temptation, lead us not into temptation, must be understood in part as do not allow us to succumb. Do not allow us to yield to the temptation. God does not always remove the thing that is, in fact, before our face. Because in those instances, it is the will of God to take us through the thing. I remember years ago when preaching out in the state of Iowa that uh, I uh, took occasion on a Sunday morning to talk about that beautiful story of the Lord Jesus who uh, is with his disciples in the boat when a, when a storm rises up. And... Uh, and uh, and that uh, the disciples, of course, are fearful and, uh, and as right-minded uh, uh, sailors in understanding of the dangers of, of the lake, uh, they, uh, uh, they were fearful for their lives and they told the Lord that they, were, that they were indeed perishing. And, of course, you know the story well. Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and says, Peace be still, and the storm is gone, G-O-N-E, gone. And in that particular day, I made a particular preaching emphasis upon the fact that God has, at all times, the power to remove every storm from our lives. And most of our prayers are prayers directed towards God saying, Oh God, take me from, take me from, take me from, take me from, take me from the storm, get me out of the storm, take me from the storm, take me from the cancer, take me from the heart attack, take me from it, take me from this difficulty, take me from the circumstance, take me from, take me from, take me from, take me from. And on that particular day out in Iowa, I remember preaching God most usually does not answer the prayer, take me from. God most usually answers the prayer by taking us through. Sometimes we act surprised, like, God, I I know that you were surprised when this happened to me, and I'd ask you to take it from me now that it's here. 
as if somehow God was shocked that it came when he's like omniscient. Could he not prevent every circumstantial difficulty at work? Could he not prevent every circumstantial difficulty in the ebb and flow of life? I think of all the years that the men of this church have been working to rid the building of water in the wrong places. And this year we've had some moments of (gasps) success, and we've also had some reminders of (laughs) failure. Doesn't God know that we don't want water in the gym? Doesn't God know that it's going to affect our Awana program if the kids have to swim to their seats? Of course God knows. Of course God knows. But in every detail of life, we understand the Bible as crystal clear that God is sovereign and in control. And certainly we can ask God to take things from us, including sinful temptations. But we should recognize that God does indeed allow, permit, and in fact choose sinful temptations in order to take us through them to success, even as we see in the life of our Lord Jesus. And of course, that brings us to the second point of emphasis this morning, which is, of course, the example of the Lord Jesus. And I can't think of a a better way to succinctly deal with that than to just return for a moment to where we've been in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, some long time ago. In fact, I think it was last summer, uh, Hebrews chapter 2. But Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 and verse 18 uh, gives us some further indication here of, uh, of the uniqueness of the Lord's uh, enduring, of the Lord's going through the process of real temptation. Verse 10, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain, that would be God the Son, of their salvation, perfect through sufferings. Verse 18, For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them, to comfort them that are tempted. Verse 18 puts the reality of temptation connected to the word suffering. What happens when you go through the temptation? What happens when you go through the temptation to sin? What happens when you go through? When God chooses not to take it from you, but he chooses to let you go through it. What happens when you make it through without entering in to it? What happens? Well, suffering. Suffering is the result, short-term suffering is the result of obedience to the Lord. Jesus successfully endured temptation, and as a direct result, he suffered. Suffering is the outcome of temptation endured. It is what makes the temptation real. Adam 
chose not to suffer. Tempted of his wife, who was tempted of the serpent, Adam chose not to suffer. He chose not to go through that ordeal, depending upon God, as he clearly understood was the will of God. He chose not to suffer. He chose not to go through that temptation. And, of course, ate of the fruit that was forbidden him. Jesus, of course, in contrast, perfectly obeyed and went through. And for his going through it, he suffered. You can and do suffer because of sin. But you can and do suffer because of righteousness. You ever think about that? Suffering is a part of life because of sin. But suffering is a part of earthly life because of righteousness. And when you are on the track of righteousness, as was the Lord Jesus, well then you cannot be surprised that you should suffer for it. You do not ask the husband who committed adultery how to stay pure. You ask the husband who has remained pure and true to his marriage. That's the guy that has the information that's going to help you through. It is not the will of God that you always be from. It is often the will of God that you and I get through. And that's why we have prayer. Because God will help us to get through the temptation phase. And when we get through the temptation phase, it might involve some earthly suffering. But ultimately... It involves spiritual victory. And you see that in the person of Christ. His suffering was the will of the Father. In that suffering, Jesus was perfected or made complete as a human being. That's the same thought developed later in Hebrews chapter 11 concerning Moses, who refused to be called the son of Pharaoh choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin as a member of the Egyptian ruling family for a season. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are asking God to help us endure the suffering that is associated with right action and attitude in this sinful world. And in complement to that thought, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy that if he desired to be godly, and he should teach all who desire to be godly to know that they will suffer for it. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, all who will be godly shall suffer persecution. So praying... Lead us not into temptation means that you ask God to help you avoid sinning altogether 
and to be fortified to take it like a man. When the opposition to righteousness rises like a beast out of the sea, not always does God deliver us from the circumstances of life, but through the circumstances of life. And when we go through those circumstances, we glorify God. We honor God. We spit in the face of Satan. And we glorify God when we go through. Oh, God, help us through the days of our lives. Not always does God deliver us from, though he can, and sometimes does. But always, always through. If we pray, and as Jesus taught the disciples, pray, rise and pray, lest ye enter in to temptation. And uh, it becomes a little clearer when you begin to see things in that particular way. There's another passage that I'd like to go to as our last reference outside of Matthew 6, but another passage that I think is particularly informative in regards to this topic of temptation, and that would be 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Would you go please to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, I'm going to be looking to begin with at verses 1 to 11. But I will eventually comment on 12 and 13, since verse 13 is one of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible. And so I'd like to make sure that you have that right. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Under the cloud of God's guidance, through the sea of God's protection, that'd be the Red Sea. It's talking about the Exodus and the children of Israel of old in regards to the day of their deliverance. Verse 2, and were all, they were all baptized unto Moses, all identified with Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual food, same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ, that's a phenomenal New Testament statement about an Old Testament passage. I don't know if anybody reading the Old Testament passage would say, oh, there's Christ. But Paul said, when you read the Old Testament passage about bringing water out of the rock, just remember this, the rock is Christ. Oh, oh okay, I'll take that because the Bible says that. There it is, right there, verse 4. But in spite of all that advantage, in spite of all that spiritual engagement between God and Israel, but... With many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. In the wilderness of temptation, by the way. They did not get through. In their 40 years of wilderness, as Christ got through in the 40 days of wilderness. Israel did not get through. Verse 6. Now these, those that did not get through, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. 
Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for and samples, we would say examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. In this passage of scripture, Old Testament Israel is twice said to be the example of something for New Testament believers. Verse 6 and verse 11. Israel is a negative example of using one's God-given advantage, of using God's given liberty to serve one's own self. Israel was greatly advantaged, and the logic of the passage here flows along the lines that we are free in Christ to live as Christ lived in the will of God, that we are free to live right, even when such living invokes the wrath and opposition of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Israel was greatly advantaged. They knew God's guidance and protection. Verse 1. They knew God's deliverance through the Red Sea. They were identified with God's servant Moses, verse 2. And they ate and drank as a direct result of God's marvelous supply, verse 3 and verse 4. They knew God's presence in the camp of Israel, which according to Paul was the very presence of Christ. Now, people advantaged like that surely live for God. People advantaged like that. People loved like that. People dealt with like that. As God dealt with them, surely they live for God, right? No, many of them did not. And you find the sad word, verse 5, but. And so the question is, where did Israel go wrong? And the answer flows in the passage read, they were motivated by earthly appetites. This brought them into acts of idolatry and immorality. They questioned God's goodness. They spoke despairingly of God's appointed leadership. That murmur verse, verse 10, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured. Their murmuring was against Moses. Uh, they murmured against the leadership that God gave them. They entered into the temptation. They entered into the temptation. And that is meant of God to be a warning for us, an admonition for us. Therefore, we are not to think 
that we can stand against the various appeals of the world, the flesh, and the devil without God's intervention and present sense of strength supplied. Verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Don't think for a minute, believer, that you can stand against the very appeals of the world, the various appeals of the flesh, the various appeals of the devil, without God's intervention and strength. And please understand that God simply will not automatically bail you out if you do not pray. Pray lest ye enter into the temptation. Many temptations, contrary to the perfect will of God, are avoidable. They are common to man, says verse 13. There hath no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Many of the temptations, contrary to the perfect will of God, are unavoidable. In other words, God is not intending to take you from them. God is intending to take you through them. It goes on to say, but God is faithful. God is faithful to take you through. God is faithful to take you through. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able. Now, some people hear that phrase and they say, God will never allow to come into a person's life more than they can handle. God will never allow things to, more to come into a person's life than they can handle. That is not what that verse says, and you're going to be one discouraged and defeated Christian if you think that's what God's word says. It doesn't say that God will never give you more than you can handle. Listen, God has often given me more than I can handle, and right now I would cite as an example this church. This church is more than I can handle. I can't handle it, Lord. I can't handle it, Lord. I can't take it. So don't be telling me that God delivers you from and never gives you more than you can handle. Because all my life, I've been saying to God, I can't handle it. 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 And God always says, right. So I'll help you with that. Right. So I'll help you with that. Right. So I'll help you with that. And if you think you're standing in the pulpit, if you think you're standing in the Sunday school class, if you think you're standing in Christian life, if you think you're standing on your own without God's uh, intervention and, uh, and, uh, and constant strengthening, well, then guess what? You're setting yourself up for the poop. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. That thing. You're on your way to the fall. You're on your way to the fall. What does it say? Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with with the temptation, also make a way to escape that ye may be able to carry on, that ye may be able to bear. Not bear, uh, uh, as it were, the weight of the temptation, but to bear the righteous reality of sinning not. What does God do? He promises to work in such our lives in such a way that we never are given so much that we have to sin concerning it. I don't have to sin 
in light of the pressures faced, in light of the burdens that are borne. I can cast and roll my burden on the Lord. Prayer makes the temptation bearable. God makes the temptation bearable by prayer and the acknowledgement of his presence. Prayer is the key to our endurance in right living and right thinking. Without prayer, you will not be marked by endurance. You will be marked by indulgence. Prayer is the way in which we endure. Without prayer, you have and are marked by indulgence, not endurance. Giving in, giving in, giving in always pleases the evil one. And so we pray, draw me, dear Father, to you and away from the evil one. If it's possible, take it from. But if it's not possible, then, oh God, help us through that your will might be done. Jesus taught us in the model prayer, our Father, do not allow us to cooperate with the demands of the world or of the flesh or of the evil one. Draw us so close to you so that we do not please the evil adversary, but that our souls indeed please you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. Oh, Father, help us then. As your people on this Lord's Day morning, as we do look to you, as we do pray, and not just now, but often, that we might continue in the currency of life to know the joy and the blessing and the provision of our Savior recently applied. We delight to know that we're saved from our, our sin as to its penalty. We delight to know that we are going to be saved from sin in His very presence in the eschatological hour of promise. But, oh God, today, in this very day, and in this very week new, how desperately we need power, victory over the temptation to sin all around us, regardless of its source in the world, from within our own flesh, or from our adversary, the devil. Oh God, help us that we might pray, lest we enter into temptation. And help us to continue to make the praise of our Savior the main thing of life, day in and day out. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.